back in the 1990s of an interview that was conducted with an American actress about her numerous marriages. And here's what she said. She said, why should I be embarrassed about all of my marriages? All of my friends are running around having dozens of affairs and never get married. At least I marry my affairs. Well, the thing is that she's not alone in her desperate search for true love, sometimes in the wrong places. There are hurting people all around us who are constantly searching for true love in their life. They firmly believe, and they really are convinced, that it is the next man or the next woman that's going to give them that elusive fulfillment, that elusive satisfaction. And if you listen to the media very carefully, you would think that this is a new phenomenon that really has only happened as a result of our fast-moving technological society. Not true. That desperation for fulfillment is as old as the Garden of Eden. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus had an encounter with a woman who was not unlike this American actress. The truth is, these men and women who are in desperate search, they are living next door to us. They are in the office down the hall from you. They are in our social clubs. They are in the college dorms. These folks, while on the outside, may look like they're having a great time. On the outside, they may look like they've got it all together. But deep down, they have inner longing for fulfillment. Deep down, they live their lives in quiet desperation. Deep down, they ache for the peace of mind that only Jesus can give them. Deep down, they are in emotional and spiritual pain. Deep down, they are empty. And the way Jesus reached out to this woman should be a model for all of us in reaching out as we move out in love for others. We have begun a series of messages on moving out, moving out of our comfort zone, and and being tuned to the hurt and the needs of those all around us, and present them with the only answer to all of their needs, namely Jesus. This modern story, in every sense of the word, It is truly a modern story. You say, well, it's 2,000 years ago, has its own unique surroundings and its own unique milieu. Yes, but it is a modern story in every way. It is a modern story that is filled with racism and with prejudice, with the place of women in society, with the declining of morality, with human loneliness, and with deep longing for genuine love and acceptance. But first, let me tell you about Jesus, and I'm going to come and talk about the Samaritan woman. I couldn't possibly have covered the whole story today, so I am splitting it in two. Samaria is where the West Bank is today. Nothing's changed. And in order to go from south to north, you have to go through the West Bank. If you want to go from Judea, where Jerusalem is, 
all the way to Galilee where Jesus had ministered and where he came from in the north, you have to go through Samaria. It's about two and a half days walking. It's 70, 72 miles tops as a journey. But <laughs> most Jews did not do that, did not go straight line. They went east into Jericho, where it's really hot and desert, and then followed the Jordan Valley north, and then go back west again to Galilee, north of Samaria. That way, it takes five days. The Jews of that time would do anything to avoid going through Samaria. They would avoid anything that has to do with the Samaritans. <laughs> Prejudice was so deep that they would rather endure the heat of the desert and the long, uncomfortable road than overcome their prejudices. But Jesus would not do that. He just would not do that. As long as there were people who are desperate for salvation, as long as there were people who are empty and desperate and need for His mercy, as long as there were people who are spiritually suffering and need His forgiveness, He went there. He gets into Samaria, tired as He was. He sits at the ledge of that famous, historic well that was dug by Jacob. And there he sits. And while he was sitting, lo and behold, a woman comes up. Not any woman, a Samaritan woman. Now, the prevailing cultural imperative of the day would have dictated that Jesus should have moved on, <laughs> that Jesus should have left the scene. Tired or no tired, he should have gone. He should have left the scene. For a rabbi could never be seen talking to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. Fast forward 2,000 years. My last visit to Israel, I invited a group of very prominent Orthodox Jewish rabbis to come and have breakfast with me in the hotel. And they refused to shake my Elizabeth hand. I had to assure her that it was nothing personal. <laughs> And it wasn't. <laughs> Just an orthodox rabbi does not shake a woman's hand. The same thing, an orthodox woman would not shake a man's hand, Jew or Gentile. It's just the way it is. But that's not all. A Jew must never be seen talking to a Samaritan. That is a sure way to ruin your reputation. But that is not all. Jesus was at the top of righteousness while she was at the bottom of degradation. This woman had so many things going against her that I promise you, none of you who are listening to me right here can even understand. None of us can comprehend the situation of this woman. Her birth rendered her an object of hatred. Her gender rendered her to be inferior. Her immoral life would have brought about the wrath of the Pharisees. But Jesus stayed at the well. He stayed at the well. You know, honest historians would tell you that the real liberator of women is Jesus the Christ. Judaism oppressed women. And that is why every Jewish man got up first thing in the morning and he prayed the following prayer. I thank thee, Lord, that I am a Jew, not a Gentile, that I am free, not a slave, that I am a man, not a woman. Secularism depresses women. 
for it forces them into man's mold. But Jesus the Christ sets women free to be whom God created them to be. You see, Jesus should have left the well. He should have left. He should have gone. But thank God He didn't. Thank God He didn't. And the reason the Samaritans were so hated by the Jews, because they were half Jews, half Gentiles. Not only that, they were considered to be heretics by most Jews. In fact, the religion was a hodgepodge, a little bit of Judaism mixed up with a whole lot of idolatry. They believed this, but they didn't believe that. Not only that, but they built a rival temple to rival the temple in Jerusalem, Solomon's temple, on the Mount Gerzim. So the Jews regarded the Samaritans as polluters of their religion, and they hated them more than they hated the Gentiles. Are you getting a little bit of the picture? No wonder this Samaritan woman was absolutely shocked that Jesus spoke to her to say nothing of the fact that when the disciples came back and showed up, they were shocked too. And that is why Jesus repeatedly said, I came not for the righteous, but for sinners. See, those who think themselves they okay, there's nothing but a little bit of education, a little bit of civilization will make them all right and be acceptable to God. These are the righteous people that Jesus did not come for. He came for folks like me and folks like you who recognize that they're sinners and they're desperate without Jesus, and they need His salvation. That's who He came for. He came for sinners, those who confess as sinners. The Bible said no one is righteous, and so the ones who think they're righteous, they're just fooling themselves. But Jesus knew all about this woman before he even met her. In his divine knowledge, he understood her desperation. He understood that crusty veneer that she was able to plaster all over her face. He knew about this mask that she wore in public. And today we're surrounded by people like that. We're surrounded with people like her. They have what I call movie mentality, TV lifestyle, and disco disposition. Movie mentality is they want to make all the money they can without hard work or accountability. TV lifestyle means they live any kind of way until they lose out. (laughs) And then they want forgiveness without repentance. And the disco disposition means that they participate in thoughtless actions. And you see them all around us. If you say amen in church, you're a fanatic. But if you scream your head off at a concert or a ball game, boy, you're a fan. (laughs) And if God is saying anything to His children these tough days, these difficult days, these historic days, He is saying to you and to me, don't go away from the well. Don't leave the well. Stay by the well. Minister at the well. Reach out at the well, whatever your well may be, where He placed you. Jesus knew that the real thirst of this woman in her life, He knew the real thirst is to overcome these degradations and the disillusionment and the, and the dissatisfaction in her life. Whatever glamour she had in the past faded away. And whatever excitement of the senses she may have had, now they burned themselves out. 
and there is nothing left but drudgery and degradation and drawing of water. In fact, this woman had really moved past dissatisfaction. She has gone all the way to being a cynic. Look at her words. These are the words of a cynical person who has become completely cynical with life. She knew some religious cliches, and she was rattling them along. She uh, rattled these religious formulas. Uh, She had these canned formula and formulated defensive arguments, and she was putting them up one after the other. And Jesus let her get it out of her system. (laughs) He never condemned her for it. He just let her get it out of her system. But none of these canned religious formulas filled that void in her life. See, Jesus knew her most desperate need, and that is why He stayed where? Thank God Jesus met her at the level of a water pipe. (laughs) He did not try to be philosophical or theologically profound or metaphysical. Look, He didn't try to prove how much He knew. If He did, He would have blown her out of the water. (laughs) Seriously. But you know what he said? Give me a drink. And that's profound, isn't it? <laughs> Give me a drink. There's something here that you must never, 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 never forget. Some of the English translations have tried to explain in the translation, but really this is something very, very important here. Because the word water that Jesus was using and the word water that she was using, they're two different words. She used the word water that refers to stagnant water, but Jesus used the water referring to bubbling water. She was talking about dead water, but Jesus was talking about living water. She was talking about cisterns water, but Jesus was talking about a spring water that bubbles out of the ground. And if Jesus is saying anything to her, He's saying to her, Lady, (laughs) lady, spiritually speaking, you have pursuing stagnant water of dead religion. You have been practicing dead rituals, and that is why you have that inner pain. You are involved in meaningless religious practices, and that is why you don't have peace. You are wrapped up in tradition, and that is why you are not fulfilled. Oh, but today you have met the fountain of life. You are talking to the giver of real life. You are talking to the spring of joy. You are talking to the only source of satisfaction. You are meeting God's gift to humanity. The reason people are living dissatisfied lives is because they think that all they need to have satisfaction in life is just a little bit more from life. If they can squeeze a little more out of life, they'll be satisfied. Oh, but the real reason for their dissatisfaction is because they don't know the gift of God. They may know about the gift of God. They may have heard about the gift of God. They may have went to churches and heard about the gift of God, but they don't know the gift of God. And Jesus said to this woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who's asking you, you would have asked him for a drink. And she gave him this nonsense, well, you don't have a bucket and water's deep. And he said, no, 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 no. You see, you're talking about stagnant water. You're talking about dead water. I'm talking about living water. Water that satisfies you for life. It's like the man who was in prison 
And he said, only if I have my freedom, I would desire no more. He was set free. Then he said, oh, if I have enough of life's necessities, I would desire nothing else. He got that. And then he said, oh, if I held a high office in the land, I would desire no more. He got that. Then he said, oh, if I would only become a magistrate, I would desire no more. He got that. And then he sighed, oh, if I were a prince, I would want no more. He became that. Then he said, oh, but if I am a king, I would desire no more. He became a king. And then he said, now, if I am an emperor, I would desire no more. He became an emperor. He said, oh, but if I become an emperor of the world, I would desire no more. And he became that. And it was said of Alexander the Great, he cried, with no more world to conquer. He who drinks of the water that the world gives will thirst. There's never enough. There's never enough. But if you drink the water that He gives you, you'll thirst no more. Nothing will ever satisfy the human heart except Jesus. Jesus stayed at the well because He knew that the water of the world can never satisfy. Jesus stayed at the well because He knew that this woman of hurt, a woman of hatred, a woman of hopelessness, can only find satisfaction in Him. Jesus stayed at the well because He knew that only His water of life can give her real love that she's searching for. Jesus stayed at the well because He knew that only on Him can she find real, true love. After five failed marriages… This woman was burnt out and probably thought marriage is the problem. And so she shacked up with the guy that she was living with right now. Something else that you must not miss here, please. Don't miss it. Whenever you go out of your comfort zone and you try to reach out with the love of Christ to others, sometimes you receive response, and thank God for that. But many times you will receive criticism. You will. You will be criticized by some. You will be accused by some. You will be made fun of by some. You will be resented by some. But Jesus stayed at the well. And you and I are supposed to do what? Stay at the well. This woman knew what it means to thirst physically, what it means to thirst emotionally, what it means to thirst spiritually. This woman knew what it means to literally and personally thirst again and again and again. This woman knew what it means to thirst both for real water, for physical water, and for spiritual water. She really was tired of the drudgery. She said, give me that water so I don't have to coming back. Half a mile each way from the city to that well of Sikar. Now, there was another will inside the town, but this woman, because of who she is, she couldn't go there with the average people. She had to go out to the well outside. Half a mile going out, half a mile coming in just to get a jug of water. 
Now, those of us in the West never understand that. And when you turn the faucet on, you get water. But Jesus was talking to her about a different kind of water. Jesus was talking to her about the spiritual water. Jesus was talking to her about her inner satisfaction. Jesus was talking to her about the inner quenching of that inner desperate thirst. And He said to her, the water I give you. Oh my goodness, the water I give you is not going to make you thirsty again. It's going to become a spring of living water on the inside of you that is going to well up in you into contentment and joy and peace and into eternal life. So, beloved, listen to me. Of course, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit here. But life is more than just a life that goes on chronologically. That's how we all think. That's how we all plan for. That's what we all believe. But life is more than that. It is a life that has the quality of eternity that is the real life. As I told you, I'm going to continue in the next message talking about this woman's witness. But I want to leave you with some thoughts that I pray, Holy Spirit of God, imprint in our minds and in our hearts. Because I haven't come to the part yet. When she, this woman, went from her low estate to being one of the greatest evangelists in the Bible. He converts from the guttermost to the uttermost. That's our Jesus. That's our Lord. We think that we've got to really look nice for Jesus. We've got to be nice for Jesus in order to accept us. Forget it. So let me ask you this. Are you tempted to stay away from the well where the needy are? Are you tempted to say, well, somebody else needs to do that? I don't need to do that. I can't witness to this, and I can't do this. Are you tempted to get away from the well where the desperate people are? Are you tempted? Are you tired of staying at the well? Let me give you an encouraging word from the Lord. Stay at the well. Stay at the well. Father, every one of us have a well, and there is a well in which you called us, and we may be trying to get away from that well or keeping our mouth shut when you're seeing the desperate need of people at the well where we are, closing our eyes, blocking our ears, or even rationalizing it to ourselves. Lord Jesus, in your name and in your power, I pray. Help every one of us to stay at the well. Father, in the name of Jesus and in the power of that name, give us souls that we may be encouraged in our ministry at the well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.